We're going to be looking finally into the new covenant as it pertains to the Sabbath day. And uh, there may be a few more messages behind this one as we get into eventually where we're going to end with how we actually engage in this. So there have been many a mistake made in the life of the church over the years. Or I should say, and when I say the church, I mean the church as a whole. Overall, whenever we begin to get away from sound doctrine, we begin to get into error. And of course, we try our level best to not do that. We, we, we don't want to get into error. So we, we are very much better to be methodical to laying down sound doctrine and sound scriptural precedent for something to believe. If it can't be found in the Bible, it should not be believed. If it can't be substantiated by the Bible, it should not be practiced. And so um, with that being said, then we're going to be looking at seeking for the old paths, rediscovering the Sabbath day, bridging the gap to the new covenant. And obviously from the first covenant okay, of works, we're going now into the new covenant of grace. And uh, you'll find that they are seamlessly intertwined and how the Lord so graciously and sovereignly Uh, made that connection with his blood. So uh, we're going to be, uh, before we read our passage, I'm going to read to you out of the uh, 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith as it has a very good entry for the Sabbath day. And if I may, I will read to you. Here's what it says, and I find this to be helpful. It is the law of nature that in general, a portion of time specified by God should be set apart for the worship of God. And I think the church would say, Amen. So by His word, in a positive, moral, and perpetual commandment that obligates everyone in every age, because it is a a, 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 uh, condition of of creation, creation ordinance, He has specifically appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy to Him. From the beginning of the world to the resurrection of Christ, the appointed day was the last day of the week. After the resurrection of Christ, it was changed to the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day. This day is to be kept to the end of the age as the Christian Sabbath, since the observance of the last day of the week has been abolished. So, a lot, a lot there, a lot going on there, right? Okay, so we're going to be talking about that today. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. Honor of God and His Word. Let's stand as we read the very Word of God to us. Okay. Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath... And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? Or have you not read in the law... That on the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are blameless? Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. 
But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the simplicity of it. We thank you for the shockingly overawe and an enlightenment of it in, in its grandeur and what it's saying here. God, the truth laid down that where men try to become a law to themselves, you come along and reassert the fact that you are God and you are Lord over all. So let us be submissive to you, our great king, in what you've purchased for us, understanding the point of it, especially as it pertains to the Lord's day, which we call the Sabbath day or the Christian Sabbath. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We're going off the premise, as I've said, out of Jeremiah, that there is a way in which we should walk, the old pass, and we will walk in it, and in doing so, we find rest for our souls. When things begin to go south for us, that's when the wheels begin to fall off, when we have not obligated ourselves to following the clear commands of Scripture. Now, it's interesting also to note that in this particular, these particular passages, Israel is going into exile because... They forgot the old paths. Okay? Everything from wickedness of every kind, the death of the innocents, perversions and sexual immorality and and all of those things were happening. These were God's people and this is what they had gotten into because they had forgotten the clear old paths. And as I was saying earlier, there's some parallels there then with how our nation is acting and other Western nations are acting today too from the foundation from which they once were on and now where they are today. And uh, if God so deals so strongly with his own covenant people, how much more will he deal with people in general when it comes to a violation of his clear old paths? So the problem is we've forgotten him. And that's what it says in 1815. My people have forgotten me and they get into idolatry. So when we go through this and we're looking at the... Uh, the issue of the Sabbath, and if you're new in here today, I just want to reiterate to you, uh, we, in all great matters of faith and practice, we want to ask ourselves not what we can get away with, because that seems to be in the Christian church today, what, do I, what can I get away with and still be right with God? When it should be, what can we get away from so that I can be closer to God? I am really tired of the spaghetti bowl full of, of endless argument about what we should be able to get by with and still be close to God. Are you kidding me? That's the litmus test for faithfulness and righteousness? That's where we've come to? Says who? The scripture is very clear. And it's our job to study those things out. It's a privilege to study those things out. The word is a light under our path and a lamp under our feet. We should know it. Okay? And we still have freedom to read it. No one's confiscating Bibles yet. Okay? So... You'll know it's changing whenever they march in here and take me off to, to jail. I wonder if Matt would have to do that. would be weird. I don't know if he's here today. Or Well, yeah, you know, what would you guys arrest me? Just don't be gentle if you have to, okay? Um, legalism should not be shrouded around the issue of the Sabbath. Legalism should not be shrouded around those precious truths of, of God. 
It's one of the ways the devil distracts us from what really lies underneath it all. So legalism lacks a supreme sense of worship. It obeys, but it does not adore. I want us to think about this question today, too, as going forward is, am I focused on externals over internals here? Because it's not about externals now. It's about internals. Every single day you wake up, you are declaring to the world what you believe about Jesus. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. And I love when he said this. I've read this so many times, I can't tell you how many times. And, and, I, and I never got it caught until I was studying this thing out. When Jesus said he was Lord of the Sabbath, he is proclaiming the prerogative to adjust what is needed. And to reestablish the heart of it. He can do that. It's his. So we read there in Matthew 12, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Then we read in Mark 2, verses 27 and 28, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And this again is, when you get into Mark, and we'll look at here in a minute, this was uh, Mark's version of Matthew chapter 12. But he's still, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And then in Luke chapter 6, verses 1 and then verse 5, now it happened on the second Sabbath after the first that he went through the grain fields and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. And he said to them, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. What is the Lord trying to get us to see in all this? That he is the capital L-O-R-D of the Sabbath. He can do with it what he wants to do with it. He is the King of Kings. And he is the Lord of lords. He's the one that decides the parameters on the Sabbath. Not little tiny men trying to be do-gooders. Okay, he, he is the one that decides. So, what has he said about it? Well, let's start from the beginning. Some things I want to read to you here. Jesus Christ owned the Sabbath. And this is from an article that I read called Delighting in God, A Guide to Sabbath Keeping by Joe Beek. And Paul Smalley says the first three evangelists recorded that he said the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. In one blow, Christ asserted his full deity as the God of Israel and reaffirmed the claim of God upon the weekly Sabbath. That's what he did. Restating that claim in his own name, he owned it. He took it back from the religious legalist. The claim left its mark on the apostolic church so that by the end of that era, the Christian Sabbath was known as the Lord's Day. And it references Revelation 1.10 where John, receiving the revelation, was said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And the Lord's Day phrase matches up with 1 Corinthians 11 when we talk about the Lord's Supper. Whose supper is it? It's the Lord's. Whose day is it? It's the Lord's. Who can say what can be done on it? The Lord. Okay, yeah. Are we really to believe, he asks as they write, that Christ declared himself Lord of the Sabbath so that in a few years he could abolish it? Because there are those who believe that, that Christ did away with all of it. He had a chance right there. He could have done away with it, but he did not. What did he do to it? He elevated it. And he breathed into it the heart that was in there to be, to the, in the beginning, right back from Genesis 2 in the creation ordinance. 
That's what he did with it. As Walter Shantry says, such an argument makes nonsense of Jesus' words. Why would Jesus go through the trouble of saying he was Lord of the Sabbath if he was just going to turn around and say, oh, and by the way, it's finished, never mind. Christ taught his disciples the proper way to keep the Sabbath, implying that he expected his church to continue observing it. Indeed, by saying that he is Lord of the Sabbath, Christ stamped the day with an indelible Christian character. Henceforth, it was only right to speak of the Christian Sabbath. Now, I have, I have read from people, commentators, that say that it's wrong to use the term Christian Shabbat which is what the word Sabbath means. It means ceasing, to stop. But i got to tell you, it seems really strange that the church would continue to stop on the Lord's day and, and sing the praises of God and hear the instruction of the Word of God and even commune with God through the Lord's Supper and all the things that they do if it were simply abolished. It makes no sense. It takes no sense from Jesus' own words, and it would make no, make no sense historically from the, from the church's perspective. So let's go back again to Mark chapter 2, then we'll look bigger, because I think I like Mark's version a little better than Matthew. But Mark says here, the disciples of John and the Pharisees were fasting. And then they came and said to him, why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said, Can the friends of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. So in case you're wondering about fasting, there is still a need to fast. Okay, No one sews, and this is the part I want to get to, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, or else the new piece pulls away from the old, and the tear is made worse. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, or else the new wine bursts the wineskins. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined, but new wine is to put into new wineskins. And I think everyone understands the illustration that if you have an old garment, and you put on a new patch, and that patch hasn't been pre-shrunk itself, when it does get dry and it pulls and it shrinks, it's going to make that old garment rip even worse. The wineskins they used in those days, made out of goat parts, forget now. Anyhow, kind of gross. But they would put the wine in there and they would hang them up and they would smoke them and they would go through their process and those wineskins would preserve that wine. But you can only use them once. Because if you fill it back up with new wine and that wine begins to go through its fermentation process, so there goes the whole idea that Jesus didn't drink wine, okay, then it would make them pop and it would burst. So what is Jesus really saying here overall? It's the message he had to religious leaders the whole time. There's something new happening. We've, we've gone from externals to internals now. It's about the law on the heart now, Jeremiah 30. Three, I think, 32 or 33, about the new covenant of grace being written right here. Okay? So they're all wanting to get you to say, ooh, I got to do this, and I got to do that, and I'll check that box, and I'll make sure I do it right, and then if I do, I will be commended to God, and I will be justified because of, of my good actions. And they really were meticulous about it. They were the police for everybody. And Jesus came along and say, old wineskin, got new wine here. 
it's going to get a new skin. And I kind of paired that up with what he's doing with the Sabbath day. He's changing it up. He's breathing into it what should have been there in the beginning. Remember, what was the operative word in the, in the creation ordinance? A day of rest. It was a, God saw all that he had made. It was good. And then it, he said he, he rested. And we go into, and we go into uh, uh, Exodus 20. He used that creation ordinance and he built on top of that. But still the operative word was rest. And remember. Remember what? Remember that there is a God in heaven who created all of these things that we see. There is a God in heaven who knows us. We are to rest. We're to stop and observe and rest. And we're to sanctify that time, not only by the day itself, but in our lives. Jesus could have abolished it. He had the chance to say so, but he did not. The Sabbath... And then also in Mark 2, going on down, it says, Now it happened um, that when he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? You have to understand that in addition to what God had commented and commanded them concerning the Sabbath, they had added about another 60-some rules to it. They couldn't even light a candle. They couldn't look in a mirror. There were all kinds of things they couldn't walk. I think they could walk something like two, no more than 2,000 paces. So when you got to 1,999, you better watch out. Because someone's there with a pedometer. And they're going to get you. Because then you will be a violator, a covenant breaker. But he said to them, have you never read? I love when Jesus reasons with us. In the scripture, where does he always take us to? The scripture. Beware of anybody that wants to argue God to you without ever using the scripture. Beware of anybody who ever wants to give sound advice to you that says they spend time with God all the time and God talks to them, but they can never expound to you any type of scripture. Don't listen to them. Don't be sucked in by that. He says, have you ever read what David did when he was in need and hungry and he and those with him? So he uses scripture. He went into the house of God, which would be Abathar, the high priest, and he ate the showbread because Saul was trying to kill him, which is not lawful to eat except for the priest. And he gave those who were with him. Jesus was saying there was a need. They needed food. And they were able to eat because he says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now that changes some things up a bit. Because the religious leaders were saying, you keep the Sabbath. You bow down to the Sabbath. You're supposed to serve the Sabbath. If you do anything wrong on the Sabbath, you're going to be wrong with God. And blah, blah, blah. And more than that, you're wrong with us. Because we're all trying to do the right thing. But Jesus said the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, Jesus says, and right here would have been the point when he could have obliterated the Sabbath, right? Right here he could have said something. Therefore, the Son of Man is also... Meaning, in other things, he's also Lord of the Sabbath. We have to deal with this. He didn't didn't abolish it. It's not gone. It's changed. But the emphasis is still the same. Rest 
Remember, keep it holy. If you know Christ, you've been sealed the Holy Spirit of God until the day of redemption. You are a partaker of His grace. It is your privilege, as your Lord says, to to enjoy this day that He rose from the dead. And remember and rest and observe and take your mind off everything else and stop and say, thank you, God. Spend time with me today as I'm as I'm doing what I do. Let me be extra sensitive to the fact that this is your day. So today's Mother's Day. And everyone's extra sensitive to the fact that the mothers are here among us. And, and, and every husband has to go, did I get the car to do the thing? Okay, and every son, and, and, and everyone's going through that. But you're sensitive, it, it's Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day pretty much all day. She can invoke the Mother's Day card all today. All today. But come midnight, one minute after, it's no longer Mother's Day. Okay, you're no longer bound by the fear. Okay. <laughs> but this is the Lord's day. And it's joy that should motivate us. It's consideration and thought. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. There are those that believe that the Sabbath, as the fourth commandment, was ceremonial in nature and not perpetual in extent. They use the verse in Colossians 2, 11, 23, to say so. Now I want I want to look at that. Colossians chapter 2 verses 11 through 23. <clears throat> I'm going to read this. Colossians chapter 2 11 through 23. Legalism was always biting at the heels of the New Testament church. Paul is dealing with it here in the book of Colossians. And he writes, in him You were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. Circumcision was a sign of the Mosaic covenant, the law of works. But we are of the covenant of faith. And he says, you were circumcised without hands. That means our heart has been cut off from the world and bound up in Christ. By putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith and the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Having wiped out, and this is where it gets interesting, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What Paul is writing, he's writing in reference to those religious, those Judaizers following the New Testament church around saying, you still got to keep these days, you still got to keep these feasts, you still can't eat this, you still can't eat that, and then he goes on to enunciate it, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you. This is where they get their ammunition. Let no one judge you in food or in drink 
or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths, which are shadow things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And then he goes on through and tells us how we don't have to deal with that anymore. I just want to say the religious leaders or the Judaizers, the Judaizers at this point, were trying to take justification before God away from faith in Christ alone. And they were trying to add works to it. You still had to do all of these things in the, in the civil law, the ceremonial law, and the moral law. If you want to be justified, you've got to keep it all. And of course, Jesus said, if you break even one part of it, you're guilty of it all, right? Now, we've established that the moral law has not gone away. But we also understand, other than the new covenant of grace, that Jesus fulfills it all for us. And then, of course, we understand that those ceremonial laws, the cleansing, the sacrifices, and the washings, and all of those things, Jesus fulfilled that too. Okay? And then, of course, as far as the civil laws are concerned, that was specific to the nation of Israel, and well, you know, everywhere that went. So... What do we do? So the Judaizers are saying, unless you do all this exactly, never mind Jesus, sure, believe in him, sure, take him as your Savior, but you better dot the I's and cross the T's or you're done. Paul says, no, don't you dare be judged by that. Now, we all established the fact that the moral law of God predated the Mosaic Covenant. It was already there. And we also observed that none of us in this building anyway would like to say that it's now okay to murder and to have adultery and to steal and to lie and to have other gods and to make carved images and to take God's name. None of us believe that. We know because it's in, it, is, it is written here on our soul. But we also understand that we can't, we mess up there. Sometimes we lie. She'd get those hard questions. Sometimes your wife will ask you those questions, your husband, you know, and she'll say, you know, well, what, what did you really think of the cake? And you're like, it was so bad. But I don't know what to say. And, and you're thinking about the rest of the evening and your preservation. And so, you know, you're like, well, uh, it, I think it was just so lovely. It tasted like baking soda. Okay. But... <laughs> One time, Rennie made a pumpkin pie, and she forgot the sugar, and 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 none of us wanted to say anything. How was it? Oh. So, what, what's that outside? Look, it's a unicorn. <laughs> Illustrating the fact that we do lie, we we actually every single one of us, even born again after of Jesus's heart. We break every single commandment every, sometimes every day. I don't have other gods before me. Well, really, look at your, look how you spend your money. Look what you put your stock into. I mean, we could go down the, we fail. But we're not saved because we keep the commandments. We're saved because we have one who did. And we're by faith in him. And he's applied his blood to my account and your account if you know Christ. But I I really, I really want to try. I mean, I really don't, I don't want to, I don't, I really don't have, a, I don't want to murder anybody. And even when I think it, because Jesus brought it to a higher level and I'm getting ahead of myself, but you understand this is still in play. 
But our motivations for it are completely different. The Judaizers were saying to the new Christians in that day, unless you do all of this, Jesus will profit you nothing. And Paul, boy, he was militant against that. And as we should be today. Okay. The Sabbath was under the Old Testament as an integral party of a cycle of feasts, which is, you know, we go back in verse 16. He said, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths. There are those today who said because it says Sabbaths, then suddenly it's abolished. So we're saying here is the type embodied in it was deepened by the sabbatical year and the year of Jubilee. On the Sabbath, man and beast rested in the sabbatical year, the very soil rest. From all this, we have been released by the work of Christ, but not from the Sabbath as instituted at creation. In other words... We don't observe the ceremonial portions as it relates to Sabbath days and festivals. We observe the Lord's day and we understand what happened on that day when he rose from the dead. But we also understand that this was a creation ordinance that would begin back in Genesis chapter 2. You stop and you breathe and you thank God for your life. Why would anybody... Want, not want to do that. I, so Hebrews chapter 4. Okay. Hebrews chapter 4 with, with me real quick. I got so much. I, I pile the plate too high when I come to church, I think. So, so just uh, let me do this. Hebrews chapter 4 verses 9 through 11. And this is just to reiterate the point. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works As God did from his. And then we're admonished. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. We have what's called a now and a not yet. As it pertains to the kingdom of God. Jesus has come. His kingdom is inaugurated. Is it in full scope? Now and not yet. When he comes again, yep. So it's now, but it's not yet. We are saved. We have the rest of God in our soul. Jesus is our Sabbath. But I'm not, we're not yet finished. We're still here on this earth, walking around. The creation ordinance stands. We should take one day, the Lord's day, and say, thank you. Lord, spend time with me today. Make me diligent to, be, to keep you in front today. Because you know how the week's just snowballing. Well, we go from that then, and I think we can establish the biblical case then for the Lord's Day. So let's talk about the Lord's Day. Really quick to finish up. Matthew 28, 1. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary and the other Mary came to the tomb. So we see it already starting right from what we read all every Easter. And then we read why. Because as the angel said and answered the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. That's why we come to Mark 16, 9. And now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary and then to everybody else. And then if you go into the next part in Mark 16, after that he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked 
and went into the country. This would be on the road to Emmaus. Jesus drew near them. And then in verse 14 of Mark, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table, and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. All of these accounts are post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, and they all happened on the first day of the week. It seems to me that if Jesus wanted to have abolished what we would call one day in seven or so to, to be just empty, he would have said so. But instead, the first day of the week became that day that we look at the Lord of the Sabbath. The early church identified the first day of the week as the Lord's day. We see this in Acts 20 when Paul is preaching. Now on the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. But notice it was on the first day of the week. In 1 Corinthians 16, on the first day of the week, Paul is writing to take up a collection. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And then finally, Revelation 1, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice of a trumpet. So in other words, the Lord's day seems to have become... The day that what used to be was on the seventh day is now the first day of the week. The Lord moved it. He's the Lord of the Sabbath and he can do that. But notice that the church did that. That's when they observed it. And I don't think I have to defend that any anymore. So that's why in Matthew chapter five, and I won't read to it there, but if you'll read through that, you'll see Jesus bringing up points of the law. And just one as an example. You've heard it said, you shall not hurt. But if you hate someone, it's the same as. You should know the lust way of one woman, because if you do, it's the same as. And he elevated the moral law. So he goes from externals to internals, right? Well, I want to finish with this. The day which the Roman world called Sunday was known to Christians as the Lord's Day. Ignatius, a younger contemporary of John's, who died about the year A.D. 107, spoke of Christians as no longer observing Sabbaths, but fashioning our lives according to the Lord's day. I think that's kind of important. Fashioning our lives according to the Lord's day, on which our life arose through Him. For Christians, the special day had become the first day of the week, In the words of Philip Schaff, one of the most dependable of historians, the universal and uncontradicted Sunday observance in the second century can only be explained by the fact that it had its roots in apostolic practice. In other words, the apostles did not stop observing the Lord's day. They who were Jews stopped with the seventh day And went to the first day. Because Jesus says there is a greater one here. Greater than the temple. One who fills all this. And he is the Lord of the Sabbath. I like what J.C. Ryle finishes with. Why are we told so poignantly about the first day of the week and the Lord's day. If the apostles kept no one day more holy than the other is to my mind, he says, inexplicable. All right. Next week, we're going to talk about the practical implications of this. I don't think I have to lay down any more theology of why 
we have the Lord's Day and how it came from the Sabbath day as a fulfillment. Okay, but we're going to talk about how we practically do this. And I'm going to be very careful on that. But for today, as I said to you before, this is Mother's Day. And you're all very sensitive that it's it's Mama's Day. It's the Lord's Day. It's the Lord's Day every first day of the week. Every eighth day. Do you keep it all day? Do you even think about that? So when you go out to celebrate with Mama, are you cognizant of the fact that the Lord blessed you with Mama? Are you grateful that this day can still be special because of Christ and the life that's in Him? If you're a Christian, listen, if you're numb to, uh, to sleep, if you're lulled to sleep by the cadence of this world and its, its self-loathing and its implosion, <laughs> you understand that you need to come alive. And he said, I don't know how to do that. Well, I kind of think this way. When something is is so detrimental to your life and you want it so bad, you will stop at nothing until you get that. If you want Jesus to be the front and center of your life, and you know yourself, right? You know how you are. You'll lock yourself up somewhere, figuratively speaking or maybe literal, and you'll get with the Lord and you'll say, God, I need you. I am drowning you're first. Let's start today. You're, you, did you know there is no sin that you're in that the Bible says that you are bound to? You've been set free. Yes. This is an important principle that you all have to attain. If you're in Christ, there is no sin that you have to bow down to and be, and be uh, chained to. If you're in it, it's only because you're choosing to be in it. You literally have nothing holding you there but you. Christ has set you free. Now live like it. And get alone with him until you've done business. And for us as a church, as we go through this weird and wacky world, hang on to Christ. And the very first place I think to start is try to establish the habit and I hate to use the word habit, I don't mean it in a bad way, of being extra aware that this is the Lord's day. All day long. But, you know, Monday's just kind of day two. But the, this is the Lord's day. you got to go to work tomorrow, but today's the Lord's day. What would he have you to do in it? How would he want you to conduct yourself in it? And you know who that's between? You and him. You and him alone. That's right. If you don't know Christ, you have no rest. If you, if you don't know Christ, you're dead in your sins. If you have no Christ, all you have is what you see is coming in around you. And it's just destruction. So I would, I would plead with you. Flee to Christ and cry out for mercy. Be saved. JT's going to come and play. Let's take this opportunity as we think about these things, to ask this question. First, think back when you were saved. Lord, how did I live for you then? Did I look forward to Sunday? I couldn't wait to go to church. And Lord, does it end at noon? 
How do you want me to carry on? These are questions, Lord, that I've really not thought of. And how do I, how do I become sensitive to that? Could be that you're here and you're saying, Lord, I just need you. I realize my fate. I need to be saved. I say I am, but I'm not. Whatever it is, the altar is open, as JT 